0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Welcome. Welcome to church this morning. As Steve was saying, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. What a beautiful Lord's Day it is. I want to welcome you to FPC this morning, and I want to thank you for the opportunity, Steve, allowed me to preach. That said, we have a lot of text to get into today, so I want to get right into the, the message. I want to start with a familiar quote. I know we've all heard this quote. It says, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But, but that assumes that history is bad, right? We don't want to repeat the bad things that's happened in history. But what if what if it's a history filled with blessings and accomplishments and things that God's done? What if, what if it's a great type of history of achievements and accomplishments? That's the type of history we would want to repeat, right? Well, that's exactly what we see here in this book of Acts. Um, this is the establishment of the early church, uh, roughly 30 years into the history of the early church where uh, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, he's attempting to build his new church. And they're going out and they're on missionary journeys and they're spreading the word of gospel. And ordinary people are getting used in major ways. So I phrased that quote to, to rephrase it to say, those who don't learn from history aren't going to have the opportunities to repeat it. So with all that said this morning, I want to I look at the title of this message, Live Like a Missionary. Sticking with that thought, I wonder about an opportunity. Have you ever had the prime opportunity to share the gospel with somebody? I mean, just the golden opportunity fall in your lap. Maybe it was a coworker that asked you what you're passionate about, or maybe it was someone who asked you what you're doing this Sunday. I think of a time I was, uh, I was in Connecticut for work, and I was flying from Atlanta to Columbus, Mississippi, and there's one, air, there's one airport in Columbus, Mississippi. It is a little bitty puddle duck airplane. That's what I call it. Got about 100 people on there. And I walk on this airplane, and I'm flying home. And I, sit, I walk in, and what I see is the whole BYU women's soccer team. The whole plane is filled with nothing but, but Brigham Young. That's it. And if you know anything about them, they're a Mormon religion. They, they preach a works-based salvation. So I walked in there, and I said, wow, I'm the only one in here that knows the truth. So I sat down by this girl, and I had this prime opportunity to share with her because I noticed she had a scripture on her phone. And I said, oh, this is it. I'm missing to tell her. This is the golden opportunity for me to tell her. So I asked her about that scripture. let her know that I was a pastor. I witnessed to her the best way that I could, and I told her about Jesus. And I told her to pray to God, to ask Him to reveal the truth to her. But I didn't miss that opportunity. So I want to ask you, are you ready for when those opportunities come to you? Are you ready to share your faith about Jesus? That said, we're, we're getting back into our, our, our text here from, from Acts, and that's exactly what we see here. Paul's about to get the golden opportunity to fall in his lap to share the gospel. So we pick up where we left off last week as, um, as these Paul and Barnabas are departing on the church's first recorded missionary journey. Uh, Paul is taking this gospel out. And this is Paul's really a change of leadership has occurred. He is, he's taken over for Barnabas. And let's read right here in Acts chapter 13. I'm going to kind of set this up, explain it to you, and kind of let you know where we're going. So if you'll read with me in Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 15. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law of the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, please say it. Let's stop right there. So here they are uh, near um, modern-day Turkey. They have went in about 100 miles inland. They were um, on the Mediterranean Sea, but now they went inward. And they're in a really kind of a mountainous area. It's about 3,600 feet above sea level. And they went into this Jewish synagogue, which is typical of what you see throughout Acts as Paul continues on his missionary journeys. This is his first one. This is Paul's first recorded sermon in the New Testament. It's his longest sermon in the New Testament. And um, he went into this Jewish synagogue. And what would typically happen in that synagogue service that was the pinnacle of, of religion. That's where everybody went. That was where everybody would be talking about God. This was the prime opportunity for him to share the gospel. And he knew that going in. He knew this, okay? He knew the customs. Because you remember, he was a Pharisee a Pharisees. He was a Jew's Jew before he was converted um, by Jesus. And, and basically, he went in there knowing he was going to get the opportunity to speak. So he walks up in there, they're, they're reading the Shema out of Deuteronomy 6, they're doing a little scripture passage, and the next thing you know, they ask him, hey, if there's anybody here that can give a word of encouragement, give that word of encouragement. So that's exactly what we have here is Paul. He's about to stand up and he's about to deliver one of the most eloquent sermons throughout scripture. And it, it's, it's quite long, but I, w- I really want us to break it down and to understand what, what he was telling them as we're in uh. Pisidia, Antioch of Pisidia. And I know you're thinking, hey, there's a lot of Antiochs, right? The truth is, when I was reading through this, there's really 16 cities that started with Antioch. And what I found out, um, a side note is, there's this guy who was just walking around naming cities after his father. So a little side note there. But, but this is not where we were last week. This is Antioch of Pisidia. And, and this is where we are. So he's about, to, he's about to stand up and give a word of encouragement. They don't know who they're talking to, do they? They don't know what kind of sermon they're fishing to get when they asked him to get up and give this word of encouragement. But as as we're headed through the sermon, what we're about to read is we're going to read through this very first recorded sermon by Paul. I'm going to break it down into really three sections. Um, God's it's going, he's going to show God's sovereignty throughout history. He's going to show that God's plan has always been Jesus. He's going to show that he's going to explain the freedom now offered through Jesus. then we're going to evaluate the two responses. I told you we had a lot to get to, didn't I? Don't worry. I'm going to read the Scripture. If it doesn't make sense when we read through it, I'm going to break it down and explain it to you. I think this is critical. This is a big idea. This is a big sermon. And this is is a great thing. So let's look at this as we jump into this. The first point I want to make before we read this text is God controls history. And that's what he's about to tell them. He's going to walk in there and he's going to lay out Israel's history, a 500-year section, Um, That he's going to lay out, and I'm going to read this to you in Acts 13, 16 through 25. But what he's doing is he's establishing commonality with these people. Because when he lays out God's sovereignty over history, what does that mean? He's laying it out and saying, look, God did this, God did this, God did this. All of these things God did to bring about Jesus, which is the culmination of history. So the first thing he's going to do is lay out the sovereignty of God throughout that history. So read along with me in Acts 13, 16 through 25. So, like I said, Paul's in this synagogue. They said, hey, has anybody got any word of encouragement? And Paul stands up. It says, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, He gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. And of of whom he testified and said, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will of this man's offspring God has brought to Israel a savior Jesus as he promised Before his coming John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel and as John was finishing his course he said What do you suppose who do you suppose that I am I am not him no but behold after me one is coming the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie Okay, so this is the first part of the sermon that Paul's got. When he was standing in Pisidia, Antioch, he's been asked to give this word of encouragement. This is the first part of his sermon. He knows his audience. Um, they're mostly Jews, but there's also some, some God-fearing Gentiles in there. He addresses them with that front. His message primarily when he came there was first to go to the Jews. Paul had a, a, a love for the Jews so much, and he just loved them. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to establish common ground with his audience. So he's reminding them of all the things throughout Israel that have taken place that God's had his hand in, that God's been sovereign in. And and it's it's so many things. We see that text, but go to the next thing, the next slide. The next slide shows you, when you look at the text, you don't realize what all God has done. But he's reminding them that God's had his hand all throughout those 450 years. God's choice of their fathers. God multiplied Israel in Egypt. God liberated Israel from Egypt. God showed long-suffering to them in the wilderness. He defeated Israel's enemies. He gave them a land. He gave them judges or champions. He gave Israel a king to lead them. And then when they, they got an evil king, he removed the evil king. He gave them Israel, David, a king after their own heart. God gave them the Messiah through a promised line that he promised them way back in, way back in the Bible and he promised that line to come through there. He gave them everything. Not only that, he gave them John to prepare the way. So what he's doing is he's reminding them of all the things, and it's on the next slide too, it was too, too many things that God had done over 450 years to show them, hey, God's been sovereign here. He protected you in Israel. He led you to where you are today. He's had his hand on every mark of history. That same God that's done all that is, about to, is the same God that's about to bring you Jesus. But the first thing he wanted to do was draw his audience in and let them, remind them of all the things that God has done for the, for the people of Israel. His story here is a simple truth. History is God's story. Everything that's happened in your life that's led you to the point to be here this morning, God's had his hand on it. You're not here by accident. God brought you here this morning for a reason. I'm here for a reason. Our our will is free to a degree, but God's hand is in it. You think God didn't know you'd be here this morning? He's drawing them in too and he's reminding them of all the things that God's done throughout Israel's history to lead them to this point and he's reminding them that God is sovereign over all. sovereign means in control of all things so that's the point of the first part of this scripture that we see the first part of his sermon the first part of our, our text and as we transition that that's my first my first point is God is sovereign sovereign over all things and that's what he was reminding them uh, rehashing Israel's history. But he wasn't just reha- rehashing Israel's history just to leave it there. No, he wanted to show them that God's plan has always been Jesus. God's plan has always been Jesus. While Paul detailed Israel's history and how it was rooted in God's sovereign work on their behalf, his goal was not just to review the history. It was to show them, hey, everything that's been leading up has been leading up to this point, which is Jesus. So look look with me in our text, Acts 13, 26 through 37. He says, brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. What we're about to see here, he's about to give them the gospel, okay? He's reminded them of everything that has come to this point. This is the culmination of of history, which is Jesus. He's about to give them the gospel. I hope y'all came this morning with the intention to hear the gospel because that's exactly what he's about to tell these people right here. Listen with me. He says, brothers. And when they had carried out all that was written to him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God, but God, you see that right there. That day when he had laid Jesus down in the tomb, everything was lost. The disciples had scattered. The gospel was over. Everything was done. But I highlighted that point, but God. When, there's a lot of things that change when God gets involved, right? But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up from from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And also it is written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the Holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Okay, so he's laying the gospel out to them. He, The whole point of rehashing Israel's history, a 450-year history over those first verses was to let those people know that the same God that did all those things of sovereign, was building up to Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus. The culmination of God's history is Jesus. What Paul turns to in this portion of the text is the same thing that, that happened today and, and it's good to be reminded of it. That even though they knew all the sovereignty of God, even though they repeated the Scriptures every Sunday, they, they fulfilled the, the prophecy by condemning Him when they saw Him. In other words... Most missed him. Even though they went to church every Sunday. Even though they read their Shema out of Deuteronomy. Lord, Lord, all these things. They did these chants like Phil was saying. They had all these man-made rituals. But when the Messiah came, they missed them. They missed them, Despite the fact they read their word regularly. And they, they didn't embrace the Son of God. The truth is, they wanted a different God than the God of the Bible. They wanted a different Messiah. They didn't want the Bible Jesus. They had made Jesus into somebody that he was not. They wanted Jesus to come back and take over their land and be king of that world and overthrow the Roman Empire and be that Jesus. That's who they wanted. And too many people in today's society, in our churches, in our country, in our nation, have made this false version of Jesus. Some are looking for a spiritual guide to consult with when they're going through hard times. Some are looking for a genie in a bottle to come out and just give them the desires of their life. But they're not looking for a Lord. They're looking for somebody who's going to build their treasures up here instead of in heaven. They're not looking for a Jesus that says, take up your cross and follow me. Store your treasures up in heaven. Give a tenth of your income. They don't want to do that. They want their own Jesus and they've taken bits and pieces of it. And the truth is, they've missed the Jesus of the Bible. They've missed the Jesus of the Bible. And that's a big problem. Because those views are not the Jesus that the Bible preaches to us. Matthew. I mean, I can think of nothing worse than than this verse right here. Matthew 21, 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy and cast demons out in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. What a dangerous thing it is to create Jesus into somebody that he's not. I want to ask you, are you following the Jesus of the Bible? Are you following some other Jesus that you want to serve your own needs? Because I don't want you to miss him. I don't want you to miss him. So now that he's laid out the 450-year history in this sermon, they told him to give some encouragement. This man's standing up and giving some encouragement, ain't he? He lays out 450 years of, of, of history, Israel's history, showing where God has been sovereign, worked on their behalf, was patient with them in the wilderness, gave them different kings. He, he, he was so patient, and all of it led up to this Jesus that he gave them. And even though they missed Him, he still offers this freedom to them. So let's keep reading our passage. Now in this third part, I, wanna, I want you to understand, and that's what he wanted them to understand, is God's freedom that's offered through Jesus. Let's keep reading our passage. Acts 13, 38-39. It says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from in the law of Moses. I took that scripture and I separated it from all the other scriptures. If you don't hear anything else I say today, Let it be, let's just read it one more time. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The tomb is empty. The truth is, we're all enslaved to sin. We have a problem on our hands. We're enslaved to sin. We love sin. We were born into sin. And it separated us from a thrice holy God. The reality that Paul is teaching here is that we're enslaved to our sins. And this is our hope this morning, this freedom offered, this good news, is that Jesus offers forgiveness for our sins to the people who will repent and have faith in Him. What does repent mean? It means turn back from your sin. Stop doing it. The things you used to do, don't do them anymore. Lay that life down. Repent and have faith in Jesus. If you want your sins forgiven, if we're going to deal with our sin problem, that's the way that we need to do it. The, The result of that faith goes... Beyond the forgiveness of sins. Paul says we can find freedom in Jesus. The word for freedom in the Greek, you know what that means? The Greek word for freedom is justification. We can stand in the presence of a thrice holy God because we've been justified by the blood of Jesus. This is our hope. This is why I'm on stage. This is why I hope you've come in this morning. If you don't know Him, this is what we're here for. This is what we're here for. We're here for that justification through Jesus' blood. This is our confidence. This is our hope. This is our defense because we are in Christ. That's that's the nutshell. That's the gospel that he just laid out to these people. But God raised Jesus from the dead. He's no longer in the tomb anymore. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he offers forgiveness for our sins. We can be justified through faith. Not by works, but through faith. This is our confidence this morning. And then I like what Paul does next. And we got through the first part of the sermon pretty quickly with those long passages, but I really wanted to focus on the latter part. So he gives them this gospel. He reminds them that God's been sovereign throughout history. He gives them this gospel. Then he gives them a warning. A warning and an invitation. So what Jesus offers here is we just explained, it's the most priceless gift that could ever be given by anybody. And Paul he wants to call people to accept that grace that's been extended to them. Look at Acts 13, 40 through 41. It says, Beware, therefore lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Don't miss this. What will you do? That's what he's asking them. That's what he's asking them right now. He's asking them, what are you going to do? With this truth that I just laid out to you in this Jewish synagogue, 3,600 feet above sea level, right off of modern-day Turkey. They asked me for encouragement. I gave it to you. I reminded you about everything that God's done throughout Israel's history to bring us to this point, how He's always been there for you. And now I want you to accept Jesus. That's what God's plan for salvation was. It was Jesus. And now He's asking them, what are you going to do? Paul's warning his hearers. He's warning them that they ought to be careful not to miss God working in their presence really and truly Paul's asking them what are you going to do with the truth that I just handed to you are you going to accept it in faith or are you going to be a scoffer a scoffer is somebody who makes fun of something they reject it they don't, they don't accept it and really those are the only two responses that you can have when the gospel is presented to you and this is what Paul's pre- presenting to them and what Paul he's wrapping up his sermon now and he was asked to give this word of encouragement and he has shown how God has been working throughout all the history to give them Jesus That we might find salvation, freedom, and fulfilled promises. That's some encouragement, I think. And that's what he's done. And now we see, because this is a narrative, this is a narrative text. So we see Paul, he stood up, he raised his hand up, and he delivered this sermon. So what happens next? Let's keep reading. Acts 13, 42-52. What we're going to see here is two, two different responses to the gospel that was just preached. I want to read them, and then I want to look at them. It says, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost a whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him, reveling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, And glorifying the word of God. And as many as were appointed to our eternal life believed. And the word of God was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited incited the devout women of high standing. and And the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet. Against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So as, we, as I just said, this narrative text, this man who came there with the intention to share the gospel, that's exactly what he's done. He shared Israel's history with them and reminded them how many times God had their back. How everything that God's done was orchestrating the culmination of Jesus. And then he presented, even though that they saw Jesus and they were religious and they had done all the things, they still missed them. And now he's invited them, both Gentiles and Jews, to repent and accept Jesus and we see these two responses. The first response is that of God granted faith. You see they preach this one, this one time and then the next, day, the next day they're all following. Hey, preach again, preach again, preach again. And when they preach again that next week, the whole city comes out. And it aggravated the Jews to no end because they couldn't believe that Gentiles were going to get to be saved. They couldn't stand it. So you see the Gentiles who were so happy to accept Christ. You see them, they were so happy that the salvation, they understood that salvation was now extended to them and they wanted some of that. There was no precursors to anything. Nobody gave uh, any advertising, hey, we're having service next week. No, these people heard the gospel preached and the next week they responded. All of them came. The whole city came. But you can just see how happy they were that they, they could get to be a part of the family of God. They they couldn't be justified under the previous law of Moses. But now they have this justification through Jesus and they understood that. So you see them and they just accept it and they love it and they keep preaching that. We like that. We want to be saved. We're thankful for the grace that God's shown us. We want some of that. You see that response. And then you see the second response. Rejection. Because really that's the only two responses you can have. You can either accept the gospel or you can reject it. And that's exactly what the Jews did. While many people followed after Christ with a heart full of faith and the whole city turned out the next week to hear Paul's preaching, there was those of the religious elites who were jealous. They were jealous. They didn't want salvation. They had a higher rank in society. They didn't want these other people to have salvation. They liked their lifestyles of having authority of other people's lives. And they rejected it. Not only did they reject it, but they had Paul and, and, and they had Paul and Barnabas ran out of town. They said, "We don't want you here anymore. I like my lifestyle too much to accept this Jesus. I like my I like what I'm doing too much to accept this Jesus. This is too much for me. I can't I can't believe that that Jesus would accept this. No, I'm not going to give up the things that I love for your Jesus. So what, basically, what they said was, I'm not going to accept Jesus because I'm too good to be saved." I'm not changing my lifestyle for you, Jesus. I don't want that, Jesus. I want the one that I can earn. I want the one that shows I'm better than you. That's not the Jesus Paul was preaching. And that's not the Jesus of today. So the power that one can gain on this side of eternity will never come close to the power that God offers through his son, Jesus Christ. We need to trust Jesus this morning. I love how it ends. Paul and Barnabas, they're they're drove out of town, you know. They stirred up the women. They got the women going, and the women got the men going, and the whole thing, they just drove them out of town because they couldn't stand it anymore. They couldn't stand that everybody was in their temple. Look, this is God's house, and anybody's welcome here for salvation. We need to trust Jesus, but I just love how it ends when they're, when they're driven out of town, and they just, what do they do? They just shake the dust off their feet, and they keep moving. Why? Because as a pastor, what is my goal? What is my job? My job is to present to you an opportunity I plant the seeds. God harvests them. And he promised us in Isaiah 55, 11, He said, my word will not go out and come back. Boy, if, I, if you present the word, it's going to come back and fulfill the promises of God. That's exactly what Paul said. He, he went out there and he presented the word. He gave them the opportunity. He warned them what was going to happen if they didn't accept. They didn't accept. Some did. Some didn't. And he went right about his business on to the next town doing the exact same thing. That's our, our goal as pastors. But that brings me to my final application points. We made it through the, through the text. I was, I was worried about that. It was quite long. I got this text on, on July the 6th. I said, man, how am I going to get through this? But God's granted us the patience. So let's look how this applies to our life. The first thing that we need to realize is, as he reminded, um, as he reminded them of all the things that God's done to, to, for Israel's history, how he had a sovereign hand in everything, that Jesus was the culmination of God's history, I want to pose the question to you. Is Jesus the culminating reality of your life? I talk a lot. I'm going to pause on that one. Think about it. Is Jesus the culminating reality of your life? Paul's reminded us that he's the culmination of history. He's always been God's plan for salvation. Therefore, he ought to be the culminating reality of our lives. Everything that we do should be to bring glory and honor to our Father in heaven. By the way we talk. By the way we act. By the way we think. Our time. Our talents. Our treasures. Everything. Our prayer lives. Everything that we do should be about bringing glory and honor to the Father. Everything needs to be all about Jesus. Our lives ought to reflect this truth. The goal of our very being should be to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. Is Jesus your life? Who is Jesus to you? If someone came to you today and they asked you, Who is Jesus? And what does he mean to you? What would you say? And not just what, what you would say, what would your life say Jesus is to you? Is he everything? Is he your best friend? Is He the salvation? Is He who you're counting on? Are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning? You know, a relationship takes time. I've been married for seven years. Been with my, son, my wife for 12 years. She needs my time. You need to bolster that relationship with Jesus. What does it look like to live like Jesus is the culminating reality of your life? You need to get to know Him. We don't want to pick the Bible up anymore. We don't want to open this Bible, and we especially don't want to go to the commentary. When I got this scripture, I had to go to the commentary, because honestly I didn't understand it. I read it and I said, "What is this even saying?" I said, "I don't have no idea, so that's what I have to do, and that's what you have to do. You've got to get to know them. How are you going to love somebody? How are you going to live like somebody's the culmination of your life? If you don't even know them? This is how we know them. We rightly divide this word. We listen to what he's spoken. He said "He said it's not going to come back void. If you want to get to know Jesus, you're as close to him this morning as you want to be. You're as close to Jesus today as you want to be. He's waiting for you. He says, I stand at the door and I knock of your life. I want to get to know you. I want to be the Lord of your life. I'm offering you salvation. Oh, how are you going to respond? And finally, if Jesus it really is the culminating reality of your life, you could put this point with another one. You've got to look for opportunities to share the gospel. Our text tonight, that's the whole thing, is primarily about a man sharing his faith. Not tonight, this morning. Our text this morning was primarily about a man who stood up and shared his faith. He was given this golden opportunity to share the gospel. And he jumped right on it, didn't he? He stood up. They said, hey, give some encouragement. He stood up, didn't he? I bet they weren't ready for that when he stood up and he put his hand up and he laid out Israel's history of 450 years. He laid out the gospel to them and how they missed Jesus and then he offered them to accept salvation. He, he ceased on that golden opportunity to speak for God. So if Jesus is going to be the culminating reality of your life, can we really live with ourselves if we're not talking about Him? If we're not telling people about Him? And I, I like how Paul went about this. And sometimes we, I know it's, it's, it's kind of scary sometimes when you go to share the gospel, right? You don't know, you don't want to be judged this way or you don't want to tell them something wrong. But the worst thing you can do is say nothing. The worst thing you can do is say nothing. But, I, but one thing I want to challenge you is as you look for these opportunities to share the gospel, number one, you need to be founded on what you believe, number one, number one. If you don't know God and you don't know what you believe, how are you going to share your belief system with someone else? And we have this new beginnings class coming, coming up. I challenge you to get in there. Open that word. Say, this is what I believe and this is where it comes from. So you can share the gospel. And, 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 and there's different times and different seasons to share the gospel with people in different ways. Sometimes people need to hear that God is God of comfort. I like how Paul did that. First thing he did was draw his audience in by reminding them about the sovereignty throughout Israel's history. When he, when he laid that out, immediately the Jews were, were on key. So that's what we need to do. We need to figure out which time is the best time to share the gospel and and share them in different ways because sometimes people need to hear that he's a God of comfort. Other times they need to hear that he was a God of suffering servant. We need to know, we need to share the depths of Jesus' grace and mercy. Other times that there's some people feel like they can't be saved. Look, I'm telling you this morning, there's nothing that you could have ever done that God couldn't save you from. So as we wrap this up, as he's laid out this big, glorious text, I'm going to ask you this question. Is Jesus the culminating reality of your life? Is he everything to you? What are you going to do with this truth that I just handed you, that Paul spoke about? What are you going to do with this truth this morning? Are you going to accept it in faith? And come forward and accept Jesus and say, I don't have all the answers, God, but I want to know you. I want to be saved. I want to be right with God. Are you going to do that? are you going to wait till next week? Are you going to be a scoffer and sit there and say, hey, I'll deal with this another day. Don't put it off. If God's working on you today, today is the day of salvation. Look, it's quiet in here. This altar's open. It's always open. This is God's house. This isn't my house. This isn't Steve's house. This is God's house. And we're here with the mission to make Jesus known preaching that this morning i laid the gospel out to you this morning so i'm going to ask you one more time is jesus the culminating reality of your life because if he's not let today be the day of your salvation let us pray thanks for joining us today if you'd like to support this ministry go to our website at fbcdelray.com also click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know jesus to know others and to make him known We cry out, we cry out